0: Hello and welcome back to The Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 45 with Brett Sullivan from Flactest Gaming. This is the second person we've had on board in this podcast to talk about high school esports and engaging youth in games for a positive change. So we tried to make this one a little bit different to the previous podcast, Woody Woo, um, and it went even more different, I guess you could say, than originally I expected, but in a great way. We had some fantastic chats about the state of the industry of esports, esports about Australia versus overseas and so many fundamental properties in being a startup founder creating your own business and what you can learn this was a great insightful podcast much more personal than some of the previous ones and I really enjoyed it and I hope you do too so enjoy Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others, or ask any questions, feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg, or on any of the social media platforms at Esports underscore gg. Brett, all the way over from sunny Perth down here today. Well, it is actually pretty sunny in Melbourne today,
1: but a very wintry day. How are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks for having me
0: yeah so i guess we want to kick it off straight away with asking you you know why you're down here in melbourne at the moment i believe you're over for an accelerator
1: yeah so um flag test was successful in being a part of the startmate accelerator program uh they kicked off uh actually week zero kicked off last week and it goes for three months so i'll be down here for three months during the program
0: Yeah, fantastic. So we'll come back to that a little bit later. But can you just let us know as we start off with every podcast a bit about your background in gaming and esports and your history?
1: Yeah, cool. So I'm an old school gamer. Like I got my first PC in like 1989 when they were like still concrete blocks. Played uh, Quake uh, as uh, professional as you could get in 1998 um, for Clan Nasty, which was one of the biggest clans in Australia. Uh, Followed my esports passion through StarCraft 1. As the South Korean boom exploded, and uh, fell in love with consuming esports uh, via many platforms, including Justin TV, which is uh, now Twitch.tv. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I work for Flactest, Test, which is uh, around community grassroots esports for kids and young people. So that's my journey.
0: Yeah, fantastic. It's funny, like identifying what you said with Clan Nasty. In those days and what teams and people were called versus these days, it's oh. much more professional and less, less lowercase and uppercase Xs, etc.
1: That's right. And all the clans are spelt with K. So it was like, it was the strangest thing because, you know, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ks
0: and Zs. And, yeah, yeah. And I guess clan tags isn't something that really exists much anymore, right? Like, no, yeah. you know, my clan was Team Renegade, which was like a lowercase T, a capital R, and that long like up and down that looks a bit like an eye and a full stop. Mm. You know, everyone was like that. They had, like, backslashes in them and exclamation marks and mm. this kind of stuff.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, definitely.
0: It was like a way, I guess, to identify yourself in those days because you, you don't really get that much these days. It's more about your display picture and what kind of cool skins you have, I guess.
1: Mm. Actually, Quake did a really good, um, an amazing thing with online names in the sense that you could change the way your uh, text looked and the colour of your text. Oh, so you right. could actually, like... Uh those who play Quake One back in the day like I did, um, it could have like gold text and uh, moving fonts it was actually quite spectacular oh, yeah. for that time of the uh, of the sports so, yeah
0: <laughs> well if you want to look different that's the way to do it that's right? it yeah yeah no longer no longer can express yourself in that fashion <laughs> unless you're the top <laughs> all level profile whatsoever. pictures now oh yeah it's all profile pictures so let me know uh, a little bit more about fleck test gaming you know what's the what's the mission and can you give me an elevator pitch of what you're doing
1: yeah yeah so we help make kids better learners through video games that's a short pitch of it uh, how we do that is through uh, teaching kids um, numeracy and literacy through programs that we run each term. Mm-hmm. And we do that through our club program that we have in schools across Australia and we have uh, over 45 schools across Australia involved in the program.
0: So, Yeah, fantastic. So I guess we'll get straight into it. You know, For those listeners of the podcast, we did talk to Woody Woo from the High School Esports League previously mm-hmm. and he's really focusing on the competitive environment and the way things play and kind of identified a few issues uh, with him that I'd love to go over with you as well and, and kind of get your experience sitting from another side of the fence and being someone who's been around probably the longest, I think, in Australia out of any of these people. Mm-hmm. I'd love to really start with you know, how, how do you actually physically interface with the schools? Let's say that you've got an idea, you want to start reaching out to these schools. What's the actual way that, that these schools will work with you? What's the sign-up process?
1: Actually, the sign-up process is really from uh, underlying growth from the kids. So a lot of the time, we get all of our new clubs through uh, word of mouth. That's part of our viral mechanisms that we, um, that we uh, grow from. Uh, once we do get in contact with a school, it does. We've actually nailed it down to approximately eighteen minutes. That's how many times I've done that of converting yeah. teachers into uh, believers of what we're trying to do, um, and that conversation would happen most of the time over a phone, right? mm-hmm. and particularly with the teacher that students who uh, trust and a teacher who obviously is somewhat interested in helping the students out. Now, every teacher is interested in helping kids, don't get me wrong, uh, but it definitely takes a little bit more um, effort to start a club and an extracurricular activity in itself is quite a responsibility to handle. Mm. And I'm the first, as a teacher, to say that teachers are incredibly busy. So most of the time is finding that one teacher who will take on the task. Once we have that teacher on board, it really is a case of uh, onboarding that teacher through uh, training, which is what we do. Uh, whether it be via a documentation that we provide about how to start a club or whether it be like uh, running a first club meeting, uh, that's the sort of stuff we provide. And then from that point in time, it's student-led. So the mm-hmm. outcomes are really based on the relationships between the students and the, and teams and the teacher is more of an overseer. Yeah.
0: And what, what does your program actually look like? Like what are these kids participating in?
1: Uh, so. The kids are participating in a uh, competition. So a term eSports competition involves them uh, forming teams and playing against other, other schools in the area mm-hmm. or their own school teams. And uh, how that looks from the outside, or I would say the, the objective of what the program is about, it's about giving them, giving them the fundamentals in literacy and numeracy for them to understand the power of numbers and English to communicate and become better players uh-huh. uh, through the program. So, you know, we have evidence now that through, a, through our program a student is able to improve their literacy just by explaining themselves more concisely with their teammates, mm. um, the way they deliver the tone of voice over the comms. Uh, it's extremely important. Um, and then you've got the maths, the metrics that matter to these kids. Like the currency of, of Counter-Strike, for example, is KDA. You know, it's, that's what people care about. Mm. We track those things. So,
0: And do you, do you find that a hard pitch? Do you, do you think that sometimes the teachers are sitting there with a glassed-over eye thinking, coming out at woo-woo-woo, saying that? Because essentially, you know, I guess playing devil's advocate is essentially you're going to a, a teacher and saying, I'll make your kids better at playing games or better at school by fluffing off and playing games. I assume that's the way that they're pitching it through in their head. Like is And is that generally the barriers that you're getting?
1: Yeah, so... It, We do get those uh, different customers or different clientele. And Mm. the bottom line is we always ask first, and I should have really said that at the beginning, that um, we ask them how they're solving the problem initially. Mm. So uh, when you have 98% or, sorry, 91% of your students who game regularly and uh, 15-year-old students who play over 100 minutes of games each day, if you're not actually, um, you know, attending to that issue, Issues will happen mm. at a school level, not just at the home. Uh, so that angle in itself is gives us an opportunity to share what we know about behaviours in kids who are part of our platform and what mm. we know in the data and the evidence of being part of the program so that the conversation is data-led, it's data-driven, mm. and teachers and principals love that. They prefer those numbers to crunch in order for them to see like, hey, look – X student has gone from uh, 80% attendance rate to 85% uh, attendance rate in 10 weeks. That's a 5% increase. That's, that's actually quite large when you're talk, talking about 10 weeks mm. of school. Um, and that's what they care about.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably in, in my eyes one of the perfect ways to phrase that mm. and as for you know anyone's who's listening who is an esports startup or is working in the space even if you're trying to sell a sponsorship you go to a sponsor and you ask them what are you currently doing in influencers? what mm. are you currently doing to reach millennials what are you currently doing to reach digitally engaged audiences and that's a much easier sell than hey i'd like your kids to play games or mm. hey i'd like you to sponsor my esports team it's the age-old thing of um, you know those late night tv shows they've got to create a problem and then solve it and thankfully that there is a problem that we're all trying to solve you just need to help identify that for the people that you're trying to solve it with right yeah 100 so what's been the main pushback from you know these schools that you've been trying to sign up let's say you come to them with the data is it really just a bandwidth question uh, are there other issues that are popping up and do you think those kind of issues are due to the market do you think it's due to the products or how are you tackling those
1: um we're still yet to really determine and test out the hypotheses like fully about how our product answers these questions on a, on a, on a long-term level. Like if a student's engaged with our program for two to three years, how does that actually impact them? Um, Yeah. In terms of like pushback from uh, teachers though, coming back to it, um, you'll get it always around time. So time is the, the immutable object of schools like, and energy is, you know, what, know managers teachers uh you know operations mm. so some teachers end up struggling quite a bit with their time management because lo and behold they're so busy with the relationships with students in the classroom um that's the number one uh pushback for a lot of schools uh, our uh counter point of that is that you know this particular tool won't just help your students understand how to be more engaged at school, it'll help you with managing behavior at that level. With that many, that much percentage of students involved in eSports mm. and involved in video games, if you're able to manage 91% of your students out of school through a platform, that's going to save you X percent of time. And that's invaluable. That's priceless. So our next step actually is numerically coming up with how many minutes we're saving each teacher is Mm. part of our program at school.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting data play and I wanted to to touch on some of the stuff, um, you know, you were saying before and and I guess it's worth telling those listening to the podcast that you were a teacher. Yeah. That's what happened to recently and with lots of experience in high school, I believe. Mm. So 10
1: years in high school education, yep.
0: Yeah, and- I liked the way you framed that answer of around that the kids are already playing these games anyway. Mm. So, you know, what are you doing to be part of that process? And, you know, for for those who had experience with younger kids or any kids in the past, you know that a lot of problems at school do stem from home. And it's very interesting the points you were saying about really reiterating the fact that if you don't have control of what these kids are doing whatsoever at home, you know, it's hard to get control of them at school and you can do so through the medium of gaming, which is, you know, the great equaliser, I guess, in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. What what data are you trying to get? So you've you said some interesting numbers so far around, you know, anything from how many minutes it takes you to pitch to a school to, you know, an example of attendance increase and, and retaining for these kids once they get involved in the program. What sort of data do you need to take it to the next step?
1: Great question. Uh, data that we need to take it to the ne- next step is that... So at school, there are a number of different ways that we measure students. So we measure students uh, via, obviously... Um, their curriculum uh, objectives, their, their outcomes, and how they've gone in uh, demonstrating their knowledge and understanding of each core concept. Mm. Uh, we measure them via their attendance and relate that to their ability to uh, do the work um, because it has a direct impact. Mm. And we measure by their behavior in class as well. So those three metrics, if we're able to come up with a clear-cut correlation between attendance, behavior, and curriculum outcomes or educational outcomes uh, using our platform, that data set will change the way schools will operate in regards to approaching video games in a much healthier way. Because mm-hmm. they'll see that, okay, uh, flag test improves student X by increasing their attendance by 10%, which has a, a direct correlation with their uh, engagement with the school, which improves their curriculum out- outcome in literacy and numeracy by X%. Yeah, right, okay. That pathway is what they care about. And that's the data that we're starting to really hone in on mm. um, because that will have a life impacting change on the students, which is our core mission is we want to help kids out most of all. And it's going to help all the stakeholders understand how to tackle this crazy topic called video games and esports. Right. Mm. In a safe environment that the kids don't feel like, you know, their parents are knocking on them. They actually want to support their interests, so yeah.
0: Mm. And are you experiencing most of the schools are looking to save the same to to solve the same problem, or are they trying to solve different problems? Because I guess primarily, we've really talked about attendance. Or mm. do you just see that as attendance is the is the culture that's going to then spread into the rest of you know these marks and etc.
1: Yeah. So youth engagement is like single handedly the biggest issue facing schools across Australia. In fact, around the world. Okay. Uh, when you have over 60% of your students in high school disengaged, you have a direct holistic impact on their outcomes. Uh, you've got to really understand what engaged also means. Like engaged comes down to intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivators, right? And how, we ma- how a teenager or, or child manages them. Um, if, they're, if they're intrinsically motivated to learn, they're not going to be a problem in your classroom because they they want to learn they have the value of of learning in them they yeah. have the will. The extrinsic motivators are the ones that are are distracting right so when I'm playing um you know popular game like fortnite, those extrinsic motivators are things like you know everything that is happening around right now on the map anyway hundred people is quite motivating to be against, but also things like You know, whether it be rewards at the end of the day, uh, whether it be a clip that I've recorded that I share with my friends, that's extrinsically motivating them to be engaged in that. Now, that takes time Mm -hmm. and it takes energy, right? And those two things, time and energy, have data sets attached to them as well. That's why, like, this is a really big problem because this is encapsulating the two things that parents and teachers are not addressing. The kid's time and energy is spent here. So they only have a percentage of time and energy per day and they're investing that in games. Mm. So we need to draw that, leverage that passion in a way that we can then directly bring it back to the classroom where they can still feel like there's the extrinsic extrinsic motivator. So there's that affirmation I need, but understand intrinsically the importance of it. Mm. and that's that's the that's what we need to do right now yeah
0: yeah it's interesting I don't I don't have a fully formed opinion so I'm going to stumble through some of this but it, it sounds like it's the way that a lot of society is happening at the moment it's no longer just you have to go to school you have to go to university you can become an entrepreneur or you know you can go do an apprenticeship or you can learn things off YouTube and do them yourself. Similar to you don't just have to go to jail and get punished. You know, some of the countries that are doing it really well, like over in Sweden and Norway, etc., are doing proper, uh, proper rehabilitation programs with looking at the attitude of the people and fostering some change within them. And it sounds like it's kind of similar here with the kids. You're not just saying you have to go to school because that's what how it's always been. It's like, why don't we make this a fun, interactive experience where you can maybe even do less physical schoolwork, but learn more over that period of time. Mm. Exactly the same as so many entrepreneurs. Say, don't work 14 hours a day because seven out of those, you're absolutely useless. You know, work for some of them meditate, have a nap, have a rest, and then go back and work. And even though you've worked half the amount of hours, you've done the same or more amount of work and you're happier because of it.
1: Yeah, and that's and when when I'm really diving into the time and energy point of view, I'm really trying to tackle the fact that if I am if my extrinsic motivators are more inclined to be spending that time and energy in games because the affirmation and the mechanisms are there me to feel good that feedback is there Mm. i'm going to be less at school because that's the mechanisms that drive my motivation to go and play more games and to skip school Mm. that's one of the reasons why kids love getting suspended because they go home and play on their playstation you know it's a huge problem at schools and you know quite frankly we need to make sure that we're thinking about this from a psychological point of view and measuring it you know actually measuring what is the time and energy impact. And how can we draw that back into the classroom? Mm. And, then, and then you've got to pose yourself the real question is how valuable is a classroom at mm. the end of the day?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point about the suspension. That's not something I've thought about since I was a high school kid, yeah. which is every time a kid gets suspended, it's fantastic. <laughs> he gets to go home and play on his PlayStation for three days, not be at school, doesn't have any math assignments to do and come back. And yeah, you just keep continuing it on. So as part of this accelerator that you're part of at the moment, you know, there's a a portion of people that listen to this podcast that are, you know, entrepreneurs are looking to create their own business or enter the market for the first time. Can you explain to me, you know, why an accelerator rather than just taking on funding from a VC and trying to scale that way?
1: Great question again. Accelerated programs are interesting in the sense that they connect you to a network, right? The the key value is uh, relationships when it comes to startup and when it comes to your business. Uh, It's your relationships that are – and relationships take time to develop. Imagine like pouring fuel on a relationship fire and that is an accelerator program. You're going to connect with so many people and form meaningful relationships and learn the most important thing, which is the mistakes that they've all made. And -hmm. if you can understand each mistake that people have made and each learning that they've made from it, that's an opportunity for you to not make that. You just got yourself a, a, a self, like an operating system to work forward from. That's going to change the way that you work and your business works. Mm. So, if, you're, if you are interested in an accelerator program, I just want to be clear that it, it's, not, it's not in itself an accelerator of your business. It is, it's going to grow your business exceptionally, but it actually is a connection to a network of people who are there to support you who have an insane amount of knowledge like a massive think tank.
0: Yeah, and I've and I've always been interested in, I guess, the traditional startup industry versus esports and because that's the way that I feel it is a lot of the time. If you look at um, most esports companies, and, you know, we've even been guilty of that myself here at, at Big in the past, they usually isolate themselves from the rest. You think esports is a new market. You know, people in fintech, they don't understand. Um, you know, people in traditional TV, you know, they're dumb because we don't watch TV anymore. They obviously don't understand how to run a business. But I think that... Uh, you know myself in the past and, and other people now into the future are forgetting the fundamental business knowledge that these people have over this period of time and to respect the fact that, yes, just because someone's in traditional TV doesn't mean that they haven't made $5 billion for their company over their period of time or they haven't had many successful exits in the past when mining was really big and now yeah. they've been able to understand the market and pivot to cryptocurrency, which then they've pivoted into software as a service and things like that too. And there's so many, yeah, business understandings, knowledge and, and things that that just don't come to you out of, you know, a high school degree.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it's, I guess too, it's, you know, part of answering that question for you is helping to stop you from some of those small failures to learn over that period of time, right? Like working with influencers right now, you know, with us, a lot of them, when they're starting, they don't know how to do an invoice. Mm. You know, you can learn things like that. They don't know, they don't have a proper ABN, they're not registered properly as a business. You know, these are all these little things that you learn, which then compound to bigger and bigger things over that period of time that you can just get fed to as part of this accelerator.
1: Yeah, and I think like one of the one of the things that I've been enjoying is um and that's probably the teacher with him is imparting knowledge to uh like upcoming streamers as well. Because Streaming, uh, I, I really love the ambition of streamers. I think they're so, they're so wonderful, right? They, they want to create all the time and they're creating this great, meaningful content. Uh, and I always ask the question, I always say, do you want to be self-sufficient from your streaming? And then they, most of them say yes, right? It's amazing what a startup accelerator or what the knowledge of people who share with you around how to turn your business into a successful business that you can then go into full-time and how that looks, how that pathway looks. Mm. And, um, you know, when I start talking conversion funnels and when I start talking about, you know, experimentations and and hypotheses around what the content they're creating is, they start to think a little bit less arbitrary around what they're actually creating, which then when I see them do it, it's like, wow, this is actually really driven By data, this is cool. This is in action, and this might produce Mm. some sort of results after some period of time. Mm. And um, and this goes out to every streamer. Like, if you are really considering streaming as an option, really sit down and assess the uh, complexity and the effort, and then the impact, and measure them as high, medium, or low. And if it's low complexity and has low low impact, scrap it. Right? If it has medium complexity and a medium impact consider it if it has low complexity and high impact do nothing else for that and that's all you do all the time until it's absolutely exhausted and then you come back and iterate again mm. and you know that's that's one of the key messages I, I send a lot of the streamers who are part of uh the Flat test community is that you know we one of the benefits of being part of, of an accelerator is that you you get inspired to share the knowledge back and by powering the community and making everyone successful, the industry becomes successful. And suddenly you got yourself a, uh, an industry where employment looks like an option, you mm. know, where that's uh, employability. People have employable options. So, um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've always been really fascinated about Um, Thinking about streaming as a business Mm. because there's always that um, caveat, I guess, where as a streamer you want to be yourself and don't seem like the corporate machine because often you're fighting against that. You know, you're fighting against Love Island and Survivor and these kind of things. You're wanting people to watch you instead. But in the same way, you need to think about yourself as a business because you're full time, it's your livelihood that's on the line. And are you extracting the most amount of value from the viewers who are watching you? Are you monetizing them at multiple touch points? You know, obviously, that Twitch has been able to force a lot of that on people, which has been a fantastic business model for them and for the streamers through you know bits and subscriptions and stuff but exactly some of the things that you've identified is what you know we've been talking to some larger content creation and agencies around is you know do you have ownership of your fans do you own the product or service that they're integrating to you through and you're seeing so many influencers today especially because you know we're sitting in PlaySide Studios starting to open up their own apps starting to do their own subscription services starting to release their own mini social networks and ways to engage with people even if you're looking at large creators like sam harris who's you know neuroscientist that does a popular podcast moving off patreon where they can control and take a take a cut from you know his donations directly to his own platform and things like that too
1: yeah i think like when and that's that's a really uh good segue into like understanding the why about what you're doing like why why are you doing this are you doing this to feed the twitch engine so that you're going to become a twitch streamer, and that's it and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? or mm. are you wanting to be a content creator that's seen by millions of people every month you know mm. and how does that look from a go to market strategy from a platform strategy? do you need to develop something in order to deliver that message and you know the Sam Harris story is a great great example about how to migrate onto your own platform
0: mm. yeah yeah, yeah, and it's not much different. Exactly like what you said isn't much different to a personal professional development question, right? Mm. You know, do you want to be a quote-unquote salary man for your whole life and work your way up through that and, you know, maybe even be a CEO on 300K a year or do you want to risk it all, become an entrepreneur, try to do a business and then exit in an IPO for 50 million? You know, sure, one has a large payoff, but it's got a lot of risk at the same time, but it really comes down to you and your motivation. And similar with these content creators, I've had so many discussions with them around playing only one game you know you live and die with that game it's hard as a content creator when you get put into a box you can be put into a box of your platform where you're a youtuber or you're an instagrammer and that has positive or negative connotations depending on what people are feeling like or the media at the time you know at the moment instagrammer bad youtuber good and i'm sure that'll change soon or if you're thinking about games if you're stuck only with league of legends or overwatch you know when you try to move platform or you try to move title then the audience doesn't often move with you and you see a massive decline and it's been really unfortunate i've witnessed that firsthand with a few content creators around who are fantastic but you know for better or for worse they've really pigeon them holes pigeon hold themselves into one title that hasn't migrated with them
1: yeah it's almost like you want to tell them like do you now appreciate how actors got pigeonholed because like you know they make content as well like you know Keanu Reeves is well known for the matrix when you saw him in another role being serious in drama you're like that's Neo man like yeah it doesn't make sense right
0: that's true and I've never thought about that yeah, that comparison before, but you're 100% right. We're yeah. reading a good article about Michael Serra just being the awkward, dorky, nerdy kid. So it's impossible for him to be in a serious movie because <laughs> you just can't take him seriously. You know, you're just used to him looking funny and dressing weird and, you know, looking like kind of that basement classic nerd in the American Hollywood standpoint.
1: Like, could you imagine Keanu Reeves and Juno, like with Michael Serra's roles? Yeah, like, exactly. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I could imagine him in in anything like that at all, yeah, standing yeah. alongside Seth Rogen or yeah, exactly. or someone like that too. <laughs> So, chatting a bit back to Flak Test, I'd, I'd love to understand a little bit more about, I guess, how the business works in the back end. So, a lot of time here, you know, it's a big podcast. We're trying to unveil, say, with esports teams, you know, what their revenue issues are. Primarily, it's around, you know, they're gaining it from sponsorship, they're having trouble converting. What's the, what keeps you up at night in regards to your revenue streams for Flak Test? And also, you know, what are you focusing on at the moment?
1: Good question. So, revenue wise, what keeps me up at night is that, you know the the month-on-month growth is an important um, validation tool to mm-hmm. see whether you're you have product market fit, yeah. And if you have an iteration that's uh, addressing um, a need well enough for it to have um, monetary value, right? So the definitely from a revenue point of view, that keeps me up at night. It's like, does this iteration of this product address the needs of the of the users? In a way that they've let us know, right, via yeah. a survey, um, and that that drives revenue, right? If we're, if we're providing value add to these uh, students and the parents and teachers, uh, that has a direct correlation with our monthly uh, our MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Mm. So, yeah, there's because they, you know, I could say like, oh man, I wish I could earn fifty thousand dollars every month. Uh, It just keeps me up at night because I want to earn $100,000 every month. But that's not really the thing that matters. Mm. What is the thing that matters is, like, does my product have fit? Does this new iteration uh, address the needs of a user to cause more users to be onboarded? Um, If it didn't, what have we done wrong? Looks like we're going to have to go back to the drawing board and start more surveys. And, you know, it takes time, and that takes energy and effort as well. Yeah. Um, So that definitely, yeah, yeah, the whole product market fit.
0: Um, yeah, and we've been having that discussion a bit here at Big recently, which is, you know, is the value that we're providing of benefit to the people we're pitching the service to? And I think it's a hard question for people to ask because everyone thinks that, yeah, my product's the best. I'm going to provide ultimate value. But mm. I think it's really worth going back and having a look and say, is it really? You know, even if you're an esports team and you're pitching out X amount of sponsorship dollars for a front of Jersey sponsor, go back and have a think about if you were a brand, would you pay that? You know what problems are you solving for that brand and such? What what I'd love to learn more from you as well is that a common problem in esports right now is people have a lot of data, they've got a lot of users, whether they're recurring or whether they're overall viewers, but they're having a lot of hard time monetizing it. Do you have a solution? I'd like to understand a little bit more about your business model versus just the general you know sponsorship that most people are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So definitely the conversion rates is something which are. That's probably number one topic for a lot of esports teams and organizations and businesses in Australia. Mm. Um, You know, you've got 20,000 followers on Twitter. Fantastic. How many have you converted for? It's like that's like for me, I look at it from a conversion funnel point of view and you have these slices – in your funnel that you have to optimize in order for them to become paying customers, right? So, you know, obviously your awareness is fantastic. You know, you've got all these all these people in there. You've acquired them as customers. Now you need to see how you're going to be adding value in a point where they're re- willing to pay. What is your unique value proposition? You know, UVP, all mm-hmm. those buzzwords, they're important, right? Um, and the best thing is that if they love your product so much, how are they going to refer your product to others. Cause that's how you're going to have virality in your revenue system as well. And your revenue model. Um, there's a really, I don't know whether this has been raised before another podcast. This is a really powerful survey done by Sean Ellis uh, called product market fit. It's just a product market fit survey. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a startup, if you've got an esports team or a startup, like you should just always do this. Uh, you send to your users um, a question that says, If your company or if your product didn't exist, how disappointed would you be? And so you have, like, very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, and uh, you'd have, like, I don't care, right, whatever. And and that's sort of uh, uh, measurements, right? There's a a fourth one there somewhere as well. Mm. Um, But the most important one is that if you get above 40% in very disappointed, you need to focus on growth is that actually your product is, is loved mm. by its users. If you get below 40% and very disappointed, you need to focus on what your product actually brings value to to your customers, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I come back to an eSports organization, I survey all my users and I say, if this team did not exist, how disappointed would you be? I would love to know what percentage of my customers or what percentage of my uh, user base would be very disappointed because if they're not going to be disappointed that's a harsh lesson about what you're actually doing to your fans mm. you know you want your fans to be have daily active users on your website what are you engaging them with right what content are you giving them that's valuable and the best way to start is to see whether you actually have fit in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting one you were mentioning. And I was thinking about, uh, I guess, once again, reiterating it to, to influencers or going across to influencers. When you find some of these influencers that can convert on sale, you know you need to hold on to those. And if you find any brands that can convert on sale, you need to hold on to those and it seems like from the outside that these people have the golden touch, but generally it's because of something they've done to make relatable to their audience. If you look at a group, an influencer group like the Misfits, you know, not not great for all of the brands to work with a little bit edgy etc but if you look at the amount that they can convert on things if you look at the amount of custom merchandise they've brought out that have sold out you know within a day or two days you know you can say okay maybe these guys are doing something right and instead of worrying about the type of content they create maybe look at the positioning the way they deal with their fans the way they work if you look at other ones in Australia like click management when they go somewhere someone like Lachlan will bring 500 kids to his booth just to meet him for the chance to shake hands and, and just see him and person so what is he doing you know there are creators out there that have five ten million followers on instagram or youtube that can barely pull 20 people to a live thing but they'll go viral quite a lot and you know create some content but they're not pushing that messaging behind it so you know how can you learn that for your business
1: yeah and i think um it really comes down to the to the to the next fundamental question you should be asking yourself is like so in your company, you have promoters, passives, and detractors. They're, they're your user base. Imagine like you're an eSport company. Your promoters are the, are the crew who will sit there, don your jerseys, and shout your your team at, at a live festival all the time. They're like going, I love this team. I love this team. This team's the best, right? They'll, I'll purchase your merch. Mm-hmm. Um, passives are the ones who just want to see what you're up to and want to follow your journey throughout. And detractors are the ones you want to focus on. Why are they saying that it's not worth being part of your team? You are asking them every question possible to understand, why don't you like my team? What's missing from my team that you would like so that you're a part of it more and more? Mm. Same thing applies to um, any sort of eSports tournament out there. Every eSports tournament at the end of the day does a survey that understands the promoters, uh, passives and detractors, or they should, mm. right? Now, I'm going to spend $60 to go to a, a, a tournament over in Sydney. I am. Cool. Fantastic. I'm I'm I would call myself a promoter because I love esports and I love what this does to the community. But uh, I I want to see what the dad says. They brings their the kids along and be like, oh man, what is this, right? Because if I can convert that dad, I will then understand how to convert more dads and more mums to get mm-hmm. them all on board and, and attending these events on scale. And so once if you can shift those detractors up to passives, you got yourself a m- immense audience to then start to bring down that conversion funnel. And suddenly you're in a bit of a space to make some more revenue.
0: Yeah, and what you've mentioned there is perfect not only for B2C, but also for B2B, right? Mm-hmm. And, yep. I, and I feel like after talking to a lot of esports companies, they're not they're not doing that. And, and what I'm saying there is that if they're pitching to a brand, they might go through a process, the brand turns them down for a sponsorship deal. A lot of the time they're saying, okay, off to the next one without actually talking to that brand and saying, you know, why didn't you sign with us? Where did that budget go to that you were looking to allocate to esports? And, you know, once again going back to like what you're saying am i solving the issue really did the brand decide to go with me versus an afl team did the brand decide to go with me versus another esports team or did the brand decide to go with me versus an esports event or something like that mm. and then you can start to understand better how to pitch these people over this period of time and i think from you know a, a startup like us who's been pitching and asking these questions so long, you start to really hone down and really understand how to talk to people. You know, our biggest issue and my biggest issue at the start, talking to a non-endemic company outside of eSports, I would go to them and say, I can do anything in eSports. What do you want to do? I can do it for you. But that's putting so much of the onus on them. Whereas now it's more so you go to them and they're a car manufacturer and you say, hey, Toyota, I realize you sponsor ABC Team and ABC Event here's an esports event who we're partnered with we can help you get in there here's the costs and such we think that might be a good market fit for what your marketing's doing currently and being able to understand from that feedback over that period of time you know what exactly you're selling and, and how to do that better and I think that's a massive thing you know I've written so many LinkedIn posts and tweets about this that esports is missing sales people I'm mm. not a good salesperson, but I'm a startup founder so I have to be yeah. and that's just part of the whole process <laughs> but if there are some good salespeople who are killing it that would like to come across the esports market there is a job for you at anywhere you want to walk into
1: absolutely yeah i think that also um one of the real principles um when it comes to understanding what problem you're solving is you might just have a shit solution at the end of the day it just might be bad and you've got to be okay mm. to face that fear um, like i i can't uh be more emphatic about saying that if you're going to fail fail fast because when you start to nurture that startup baby that you've grown, uh, you become more attached to it. It hurts more, right, mm-hmm. as you do this. So find whether, you're, find whether your uh, solution is solving a problem quick, you know, and understand your users as fast as you can. That customer discovery is super important.
0: Yeah, yeah. and expanding on what you said, it, it helps that a startup founder or an employee is A, a subject matter expert, or B, has sat on the other side of the fence. So for you, you've been a teacher for ten years. You've dealt with kids not turning up to school, with being disruptive, with wanting to play their PlayStation instead of being in class, or you know watching YouTube clips instead of studying as they should be. And for me, you know, I worked at Corsair for two years and Take for four. So I have been the brand, I've been the sponsor. Um, you know, sat on all those different, I've been a player and this kind of stuff too. So I think it's important to sit back because it's really easy to get caught up in what you're doing and trying to sell all the time. And I need to make revenue, I need to grow the market, etc. But if you can take a step back and take a look and say a would i buy this and b what is the feedback the honest feedback from the b to b and the b to c you know as some ways i can make improvement or like you said do i need to fail fast and go into other things because yeah i think you know a lot of people rightfully so are scared of failure but so many vcs if you listen to any startup podcast with vcs or, or pitching type podcasts they're VCs and, and investors are much more likely to work with a founder who has made a successful exit or a failure or two or three in the past because they've learned so many of these things. Like we were talking about ages ago with the accelerator, they've learned they, and they have the fundamentals of knowing how to do a sales process and develop a funnel, and to hire and fire employees, and to do their tax returns correctly and register a business. And there's just such a such a list of you know so many things. I feel like I'm basically ready for accountancy degree and a law degree <laughs> with these contracts that I had to write most of and get lawyers to. Check and these kind of things over that period of time that, yeah, yeah, you just don't foresee. And I think. Part of that is me ranting and the arrogance, I think, of the esports industry and something that I've been at fault of in the past, thinking that you have something special and you're so hyper different from everyone else, but really understanding that so many of these people go through the same issue. You mightn't be a fintech product or you mightn't be a traditional rugby team or something like that, but you're still a business. You still have to report to the same tax agency, you still have the same prime minister, you still have the same currency, and you're still all using zero. so you're going to have to function together somewhere.
1: Absolutely, yeah, no, that's good points.
0: Yeah, so with uh, test right now, I, I guess one other thing that we've talked about a little bit and I've seen you talk about a little bit online, I'd love to get your thoughts on the limitations of the Australian market and branching out into overseas. There's been so much interest from international orgs coming into Australia to use it as a tester, say Fnatic, you know, picking up Rainbow Six, Um you know, I am coming into Australia with ESL, Gfinity coming in here, et cetera. But there's also been a lot of look into Australia moving off to Southeast Asia and off to America. I'd love to get your thoughts on it.
1: Amazing question. It, it's one of those things that like it, t- it takes some brutal honesty to, to really dive down to what's really at play here. Um, US market is about 10 to 20x of what the Australian market is already, right? So one thing that we have to like make sure that we're all pretty honest about. So that your, if your solution is solving a really big problem, uh, you should test it in the market. You know, the US is quite a relevant market to Australia, so the the mm. the time between entering the markets is far less, right? Um, sure. Uh, if you're talking about revenue uh, and growth, the US market is exceptionally good for that, right? So there are there are characteristics to why Black Test is essentially looking at. Um, geographical areas like the US and, and Asia, and entering those markets, particularly because not not just the fact that um, we've we've proven that the solution works in Australia and for students, but also the fact that like we want to help more kids. Like tall poppy syndrome aside, we want to help as many kids as possible. We want our company to flourish, and we want to be able to successfully employ people within an esports industry that has legs right and if it takes uh, if it takes entering the u.s market to mature an esports business to then come back to australia to bring work that might be a solution it might be right it might not be the only solution but for us it's it's one clear solution that's viable that we we're really we're really keen to explore um if you want to get into the australian market a bit have a have a look at the buying power of of australian customers have a look at the conversion rate of, the, of those customers to eSports. It's ridiculously low. And I, like other people who have probably been on your podcast, it's confusing because we're like, oh, cool. So I'm just going to spend X dollars on watching an AFL game. It's quite high, right? The fan engagement's there and the conversion rate's there and the cost per fan is there, oh, the revenue per fan. The revenue per fan in eSports is like where is that? Like that's, that's one thing that drives the economical growth of the esports industry. Mm. And it's hard to put a figure on it. And if you don't have that figure, how is, uh, how are you going to to determine your total available market to build your solution for? Right. So, Mm. and that's, that should be a driver for your decision-making as you're moving, uh, as you're solving a big problem. What is your total available market? An investor would not like to see that your total available market is like a million dollars, right? Mm. Like that might be exactly what the total fan cost of Australian esports is like. Who knows, right? I'm making a huge assumption there. But, you know, the total available market for global is massive. Mm. So just go global, fix it, do it, right? So um, if, if it solves the problem. So yeah, I, I'm i digressing a bit, but what I'm trying to say is that like the, the Australian market is still in its uh is is still ma- going through a maturity phase um it's a heads down thumbs up type like knuckle down it's a long haul but it's gonna it's gonna come through and it's gonna be fantastic mm. sort of phase um if you're looking to grow big like get big fast GBF US just hit hit that US market validate your product and then come back
0: mm. Yeah, there's some interesting things you've, you've said there and one of the ones I wanted to identify was about proving your value and proving your worth and you're talking about you know the spend per fan and things like that. And one way that we've found a lot of success here in Australia is using things like the fighting games community and using these influencers who do convert, especially to get bums on seats. We were mentioning a little bit off mic beforehand that, you know, we did a little event um, at a burger store here, which probably really only had capacity for 50 people, but we brought 88 through the door. You know, people were lining up down the street to prove to these people that, yes, these fans are real. They do exist. They bought two and a half grand worth of milkshakes, you know, alone, uh, plus extras, you know, burgers. Yeah, it's a lot of milkshakes. They had to run off and get some more milk and ice cream. It was pretty pretty funny to see. But yeah, and I I agree with exactly like what you're saying. You know, they they need. um, You know, we we need to over deliver in this portion of esports right now. We don't need to sell to a brand and then, you know, maybe get 20,000, 30,000 views online, half of those paid, and that's it, it's done. There needs to be that proper, you know, getting those real eyeballs onto there, getting conversion sales, getting people, bums on seats to physically turn up to things as well. And that's a way to greatly activate on your audience. Because right now, I think a lot of the time, people are just focused on reach and exposure and not so much on conversion and you know, physicality of bringing people in. But if you're bringing someone into IEM, you know, not only have you sold them a ticket to attend, but then you've got a captured audience there. So you can ask them questions. You can get them to ship around to boost. They can buy food and beverages. You know, they can be part of that physicality, that experience that they're not going to get online when they're just watching a YouTube video and clicking on to the next, the next, the next.
1: I think you've absolutely nailed it in in its physicality. I think that Australians love going places and being part of communities from a live point of view. I mean, we've, we've done that ever since, um, you know, we've been involved in the sport um, back in the day at stadiums. But the most important thing is that through physicality, you have greater chance of conversion. They're seeing your product. They're seeing the value that you're bringing into it. And they're going, okay, this is actually worth money. Mm. So the answer is give them more content. Give them more of these events that's going to convert customers. Yeah. Because if you have more events, one, you've got more business for most – businesses who are involved in eSports in the first place, and two, you're converting more customers through your funnel and everyone's winning. Everyone's winning. The more content, the more people win. So it's it's a question of the leap into I'm going to put my hand up and run as many events as possible. Mm. And, you know, at Flactus, we've been really thinking hard about that, about like, okay, these kids come back to us on a survey and they say we want more content, we want more tournaments, we want to be involved in eSports as much as possible. You know, like okay, we'll just give you more stuff until we've reached a point of capacity of saturation, mm. um, and then through that content, you know, whether it be big or whether it be Corsair or any other brands that come in that or that can empower that customer, mm-hmm. engage them. Yeah, it's a winning ticket.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, exactly what you said is how I feel about Star Wars. I don't <laughs> I don't care how poor people might think the movies are. I just want more.
1: I want more Star yeah. Wars. I love Star
0: Wars. I want more lightsabers. I want more. But it's exactly true, like what you were saying. And, you know, you're seeing that. And I think once again, and I sound like a broken record, I feel like I do, so much that esports needs to learn more from influencers and better utilise the way that influencers work. If you can see people like the misfits who are selling tens of thousands of items in one day you can see phase that's you know that successfully seemingly so doing that mix of influences and esports you're seeing people like the click management crew who are in a 15 million dollar house in sydney that's you know supported by shaquille o'neal's owned team and they're pulling thousands of fans and growing by millions and millions of subscribers per month across their fan base they're definitely doing something right yeah so you need to look at the way that they monetize what they're doing Um, they're not relying purely on sponsorship dollars, which esports teams are. They've got multiple sources of revenue. They've got a ton of hungry fans who are not only buying things online, they're donating, giving them money and they're also turning up in person. I think that people need to start looking more at that kind of market and stop thinking about how can I just get an influencer into my team to, to kind of pad up my stats? How can I actually use them to help grow my brand at the same time while providing some sort of value to the influencer?
1: Yeah, you've nailed it, man. Like, it really does come down to adding those touch points to, you know, add true value to, to the people's experience. Cause you know, I'm, a, I, I love esports right. And I want to see more esports. sports I want to be, I want to be able to, to like, I, okay. So I was in San Francisco uh, earlier this year. The one thing I took away that I loved was how much sport content there was every day. Like mm. it'd be like, Oh cool. I watch some baseball. Oh cool. The NBA is on straight afterwards. I oh, look at some ice hockey, like playing like literally seven or eight hours of sport. Mm. I'm like, I'm, this is it. This is my dream. Because right, there's just so much content for me to consume. Um, the same thing needs to apply for esports. It just I would love to have Australian esports happen all the time. Um, obviously it means that there needs to be more people on the ground making that happen. Uh so shout out to all the people out there, get on the ground, make it happen, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so that's it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Look, Brett, this isn't exactly what I thought we'd talk about today, but in a very good way. I think we covered a lot of really interesting topics ranging from you know your business model to you know issues as we see it with the Australian market versus overseas, you know expansion possibilities and such. So It's been a great chat.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: And where can uh, people follow you online or catch up or see what you're doing?
1: So uh, my personal Twitter is at MrSullo. That's my teacher in me. Um, you can also follow on uh, flactist.com which is our platform uh, that's actually just gone live with a new product uh, last week. Uh, And uh, yeah, just connect with me on Twitter and and LinkedIn is uh, where I usually hang out, so...
0: Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thank you to listening into to the Big Esports Podcast. If you'd like to see any of the show notes, discussion topics, or any links to what we've talked about today, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 45. That's forward slash 45, the numbers. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social
1: medias at bigesports underscore gg.